how happy is the blameless vessel's lot. The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Is there any risk of brain damage? Well, uh, technically speaking, the procedure is brain damage, but it's, it's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. What won't I miss? Hmm. It's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Luke Allen and Chloe Griffiths, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this, so... Chloe, you're on top of my Zoom screen. You can take over. I haven't watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Neither is this version of Robert. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have notes, but I haven't seen it. There's someone named Frank and someone named Joel, and they're in a mailroom as Minute 21 begins. Would you ever do a minute-by-minute podcast where you're watching each minute for the first time? I would love to. That's been discussed. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. The problem is, how do I... I want to make sure the movie's good. (laughs) What you got to do is you got to do only lovers left live. Yes, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. It's got John Hurt in it for a bit. Yeah, he's a, he's a good good actor. I don't know why that's my takeaway, but my only <laughs> comment about the film when I one of my main messages I sent you afterwards, Chloe, was John Hurt wasn't in the film enough. I know you were like, I'm so sad he wasn't in it. <laughs> I did that to myself, sort of, when I was doing Best Years of Our Lives episodes for two weeks is i didn't watch the movie until i had already done what two of my episodes i recorded the first one just watching that minute and that's it and then elaborated on what could be the story of this character what is he going through and went through this whole thing and then the next one i'm like i've now read the book the movie's based on but i haven't watched the movie here's what i think (laughs) and went through that and then i watched the movie and continued i've only seen it once when i did the show but it was all right yeah now, do you know what this movie's about, Chloe? I've seen the trailer ages ago, and I can't remember what it's about. So no, not really. <laughs> I know roughly, I think. But I've no. seen it several times, and I don't know how to explain what it's about. Oh, that's easy. Uh, the, a guy is erasing his relationship with a woman, and so we see their relationship in reverse. There's the plot. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't even started yet, and we're in minute 21, though. We were only just not that long after the opening titles aren't we because the opening yep. titles are really late yep i f- keep forgetting that there are opening titles when they happen but then they're so good it's a, mm-hmm. it's a good opening titles which you've not seen chloe because you've not seen the film but if you want to film a good opening titles which is a weird thing to look for but if you do you do you oh i'd love to do a show where i keep thinking about it. just take different films just analyze the opening titles i don't know if you've watched it but it's called fresh which came out recently on disney plus Oh, yeah, yeah, I know of it. I haven't watched yeah, it yet. Same. The first half an hour is basically an intro. Then you get the opening titles of the film. And it was quite cool. Apparently, that's gotten more common recently, and especially in longer films. I gave the example a couple of weeks ago of Drive My Car, which is three hours long. But the first 40 minutes are basically a short film. And then the plot gets started. And so the credits aren't until that first section is done because it's telling its own little story. And then we follow that one character into the rest of the movie. In this minute, we have Frank and Joel in the mailroom, and then Joel will leave. I do have to make a correction, actually, because we get a better shot of the envelope from Lacuna at the beginning of this minute, and I have no idea where I got 210 East Grand from last week. I just misread it, or I don't know what I was looking at. The address on the envelope is 424, which does match the address over the door later, although it doesn't uh, match the actual location. 
And then we get Joel after Frank Askin got any big Valentine's Day plans with her. It's a really, it's annoying because with Groundhog Day, I think we got such a brilliant minute as like, and it to encapsulate the film from the perspective of you, Chloe, not seeing them and don't know anything about it. This minute of Eternal Sunshine, I was like, I don't know what you would have to say about this without knowing the film. Um, so, yeah. What, 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 what do you think as a whole when you watch this minute? Were you just like, that was a minute? Well, the guy annoyed me, let's play that way. <laughs> he is annoying. Yeah. Right. Just, just leave the guy alone. Joel walks away and he leans into the hallway to keep yelling after him about because he has a he thinks yeah, he has like a great judging joke when going. he's going to sleep. <laughs> it's like guy clearly doesn't want to talk to you. Right. Just stop. <laughs> and judging someone like I'm going to go to bed now. It's like, but it's only like what did he say eight thirty or yeah. something like that? I was like, you don't know what time he has to get yeah. up. Leave him alone. <laughs> Obviously, it was a cover up, but still, just. I well, know. he does need to go to sleep. He just seemed to push something. Not because of work. Yeah. But yeah, I feel <laughs> as cover ups go, even if you can read that as a cover up. Even me with like the lowest of social skills and reading people would go, you clearly don't want to have this conversation. So, you know, let's not have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Joel is answered in single words and then he's like, better make some reservations or something. And Joel is already walking away and he's like, don't want to end up in Mickey D's. Right. And Joel is heading down the hallway. Yeah. And it's... Still talking. Yeah. Clearly is not interested yeah. in the conversation. Like the point of small talk <laughs> is to make that first interaction not be awkward. The interaction's over. You don't need small talk anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pointless. He's so kind of forcing and annoying and bugging that he feels like he would be suited within an Alex Garland film of 2022. <laughs> so it's... If, he could have yeah, <laughs> saying, make romance, you want some fries with that shake? You see, he had that joke in his head and he's like, I got to use that on someone today. And then he had the opportunity. He's like, I'm taking it. Yeah. You can walk away, but I'm going to make my joke. But if he had that joke in his head, it's not that good a joke. At some point, you would have realized it's crap. Like, no, just come on. he doesn't. <laughs> he can't because he hasn't given birth to a new version of himself yet. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, to be fair, as, as you say thematically, that does thematically work with Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. The process of birthing a new version of himself. Yeah. I'd never have liked... Groundhog Day. Yeah. Oh. See, man is just taking everything that we've been making movies about and making it literal. Well, you know how, like Chloe, one of my last, one of the things I said when I left men was, I don't know why I like cinema. This conversation is furthering that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we both said we left the film. Maybe we'll just work in a shop now. Like. <laughs> yeah, we were just like, okay, our, our hope for this is just gone. <laughs> I said it's a real shame. I quite like sleep. Shame I'll never do it again. But you know, it's <laughs> it's it's. Uh, but hey ho, that was yeah, the annoying thing is as well. I I I'm I'm not going to. But our constant talking about it and thematically what it represents. There's a tiny part of me that wants to watch it again. I won't. But there's a tiny part of me that wants to go. I I kind of want to see whether that is a reading I could take. But I'll get that instead through video essays rather than. You know what? I'm, I don't think I'm going to forget that film. That's so I don't think I need point. to rewatch a, it yeah. to know. It's already there in my head now. <laughs> it's not going to go. So Joel does go to sleep or he goes off to sleep. <laughs> we'll bring us back to Eternal Sunshine. Joel didn't see men before he no. went to bed. So he was fine. He wasn't out at the theater. No. He was he's yeah. too upset. No. And, yeah. And then Frank looks at his watch and like, it's 830. But Joel's gone. It doesn't matter. And then we get uh, some interesting uh, just series of insert shots. You know, Joel's hands. He's opening his brand new pajamas. 
putting the pants on, putting the shirt on, buttoning it, getting this little pharmacy envelope out of the bag that he was carrying. They are nice pajamas. Yeah. It's also a weird choice, but someone actually explained it. I forget who said it earlier in this show, but I, they realized why he got new pajamas. It's because he doesn't normally sleep in pajamas and he knows people are going to be there while he's sleeping. Oh. So he bought nice pajamas. I was always like, this is a horrible choice. You're getting your memory erased tonight. You don't want to be wearing something new. Oh, yeah. You're wake up in the morning and freak the fuck out. Did you say as well there was some sort of pajama link to Groundhog Day? Or am I making well, that up? Well, up close, they look a lot darker, almost black. But in the wider shots, when there's the light in the morning, they look blue and mostly match Phil's pajamas in Groundhog Day, which in my blog, I would look for any link I could. So I was like, that's deliberate. Here's why. I think it's just coincidence. They wanted dark color. That's called film studies. That's absolutely just. Oh, oh that's yeah. what, I did two years of that's deliberate. Here's why. Everything's deliberate. And then I did the same thing with my evaluation on my coursework when it was explain all the decisions you made in this film. And it's like, this shot represents. Da, 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 da. Now I just went and put the camera there, mate. And then, you know, <laughs> can you see the actors? Yeah. <laughs> like the actors were on the screen. I figured that would work. <laughs> then the conversation was over. So I cut. Yeah. I had an obsessive moment because we see the label on his pharmacy bag, which is from Dwayne Reed, which is a real string of pharmacies in New York. The phone number is a 516 area code, which puts it in Nassau County, which is where Rockville Center is. So it would be near his apartment. And I did notice while it does have an address for him and an RX number, it does not say what drug he is taking. I was going to ask whether we knew what he was having. It's a single pill that's going to put him to sleep all night. We know they gave it to him. It does say quantity one, refill zero. But nowhere does it say the name of the drug. I was like, what was the name of the drug they made up for the movie? They didn't make one up. It is pink, which the script does say it's small and pink. The color was in the design. He gets a glass of water. He opens the bottle, puts the single pill into his hand. We get a cut with the pill already in his hand and the water glass in his other hand instead of the pill bottle. And then we follow the pill up into Joel's mouth. And we get a cut to him taking a drink from the glass instead of swallowing the pill. So we get little jumps, which is fine in this movie because it's going to play with time later. He doesn't like the taste of it. He grimaces. Then we get a moment that I really like and had forgotten was in here as he kind of has this stare, like dread almost, like he just realized he's gone to, like he can't go back from this anymore. Once he swallows this pill, this thing's happening. But then there's like a sound of a train or something and his eyes look one direction. There's a sound of a chime and his eyes look the other direction and they play it as he's reacting to the score, which I really like because it's like the movie is just, once he put that drug in, we're inside his head now. Oh, yeah. He's experiencing something beyond the reality of the film. But then we have to view from outside, from inside the van. Patrick is singing. I have no idea what he is singing in the script. He's supposed to be singing the song Maniac, but that is not what he's singing. And Stan tells him, Patrick, stop it. And then we get uh, looking out the window past Joel at them, and he closes his blinds. He gets hit in the head by that birdhouse we saw at the beginning of the film. It's got the two little glass birds in it. There is a mistake at the end of this minute. It's the last thing I had in my notes because he turns away from the window and he is not standing by that window anymore because those shelves are not near the window. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like it could still be like a deliberate decision. Oh, yeah. And it's not anything we would know. I didn't even realize he had a desk with a computer. Uh, I don't think we see it at other points in the movie. But I think it's something like that that could be used to sort of subliminally make you feel uncomfortable. Right. It's not what we just saw behind him through the window, so... Something's wrong. 
Well, just like the cuts when he's taking the pill. Yeah. He puts the pill in his hand and we cut. He's not holding the pill bottle anymore. He's holding the water glass. He puts the pill to his mouth and we cut and he's drinking. And so it's skipping beats and disconnecting from linear time, basically. Yeah. It's, it does the Garland cuts better than Garland. <laughs> yes. Garland does it, I think, because he doesn't know how to get around it mm. yet. I think they're doing it here. Gondry and Kaufman and whoever edited this, I don't remember, are doing it for a reason. Yeah. So it works better. Kaufman feels, feel the weirdness feels earned with Kaufman. Yeah. Everything feels like it's on purpose. Which for me, with Garland and the ending of Men, that didn't feel as earned as it would in like a Kaufman film. If I went into a Charlie Kaufman film, I'd almost expect it to end with a man giving birth to himself in a rather strange way. Like, it's horrifically disturbing in any film, but I'd almost feel if Charlie Kaufman's name was attached to the writer that it would make more sense than Garland. Well, I think it also couldn't have ended with the obvious thing, which would be like all these people are trying to kill her or something more blatant because they're not. That's the whole point at the end is even though they keep coming close to injuring her, they're not really trying to kill her. I like how she never acknowledges that they're all played by Rory Kinnear. I think that, that was a good, like, interesting decision. Well, she doesn't notice when the cop looks like him, but we wouldn't know that's what she's doing unless we notice. Yeah. Which is like, I like that as an idea. What I don't like is that when Rory Kinnear was asked in interviews, he said he didn't know why he played all the characters. He just agreed to it. I expected the ending to be a little bit like you know, in Hot Fuzz, when you find out that it's all like a cult. Mm, yeah. I, I expected something like that. But I also feel like the child that looked like him just ruined it a little bit. I think the subversion of reality yeah. kind of thing, him looking like a child was a bit too much for me to be like, well, she's got to notice that. Like it, the, the rest of it, I was fine with. I was like, they're different. And it's kind of like playing with it cleverly. But I couldn't get back in after that. Well, without the child having the older version of his face, though, we might have thought it was some weird, like, small town inbreeding joke. Is it all these guys just look like because they're all the same, like they're all brothers or something? Yeah. Once again, that would be like an, an interesting theory. I just I didn't understand the child at all. He came back and he was a relevant character, but I don't think it needed to be a child. I think it could have still worked yeah. at another point. But yeah, now I'm just thinking of the arm, which was a, a good effect, disturbing. But oh, it was, was really like, well done. Yeah, when he, especially when he's washing his hand. I was going to say when he's washing his hand. Both halves yeah, of yeah. his hand are moving. Yeah, I was, I was impressed by that, and I sort of liked the idea that the injury was passed on to all of them. I thought that was like that was quite interesting. I immediately wished I watched Corridor Crew on YouTube, and they watch, they react to like visual effects and stuff. And I'm like, I'd love to see them comment on. It. I'm like, oh, they can't really show that on YouTube. They can't show most of the interesting yeah. stuff in that movie in YouTube. And I did like how the injuries paralleled the injury of her husband. Mm -hmm. Like that was that was a nice yeah. idea. That's where the film should have ended. The birth, the birth for me was ruined it. Okay. I also didn't quite understand why they had that one transition where they went into the eye socket of a dead deer and then went back out again. Didn't quite know what the point of that was, but that's something to explore. Same with the Marilyn Monroe mask. Now plugs. Let's. There'll be other stuff on the socials for the week of 4th of July around Reduce to Clear. On the Monday, Reduce to Clear is coming out. On the Tuesday, behind the scenes. On the Wednesday, bloopers. On the Thursday, I think we've got some sort of like interviewee chat on Zoom with some of the cast and crew. And on the Friday, we're releasing all of the footage from the premiere, which was briefly online around Christmas. And then we took it back down. So that'll be the chance to watch it again. Would you say where they will find those things? Mr. Middle Films on YouTube. Check, check it out. You know, 
Emma Freud of, of About Time and Love Actually fame said it was good. So, you know, trust her. If you don't, trust the director of um, Love, Rosie. He liked it. Chloe, I hope you do watch the rest of Ex Machina and watch Groundhog Day and Eternal Sunshine, and I hope you enjoy them. I will. Thank you for listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. And you can follow all three shows on one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. This is it, Joel. Gonna be gone soon. Okay, we'll be so I know. What do we do? We're going off. Enjoy it. Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore. I want to call it off. Obviously, because tangents happen on MXM shows, but it was we we kind of. Right from the start. Not if I can help it in the editing bay. Yeah.